Good morning. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Allow me to read for you the news of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'll be reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 27, beginning at verse 57 and reading through to chapter 28, verse 10. You can follow along in the bulletin on page 6. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. The next day, one of the, on the, the, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. That deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for, the, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were, uh, were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know what you are, that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Let's pray together. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time that we could ponder your resurrection, Jesus, that we can consider the good news that it is to us, to the world, its implications for our lives. And we pray that you would give us help, 
that you would give us open hearts to believe, to receive. And so wherever we're at in our relationship with you today, uh, that you would kindly but truly uh, bring us to the feet of Jesus, that we might learn to worship him and love him, love you. And so give us your spirit now in this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Easter, friends, Easter means the end of all our fears. Because Jesus is risen from the dead. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. And even as we say that together, without a doubt, some of us here today are saying to ourselves, risen indeed? Sorry, I just can't believe. And one of the wonderful things about the passage that we're looking at is the way in which it gives a lot of respect, kindness, uh, even understanding to those that might feel skeptical or even resistant to the story of Christ's resurrection. Uh, the way in which we see the angel uh, almost gently acknowledging the women's confusion. I, I know you're looking for Jesus, they're told. Jesus who was crucified. Well, of course you're looking for him, but he is not here. There's no chastisement, no scolding, no, come on, you should know better. Weren't you listening? You should know he's not here. No, none of that. An acknowledgement of doubt and confusion, and misunderstanding. The way this passage shows through the author's words an understanding that there might be conspiracy theories out there. A, a total understanding that it'd be reasonable to see here religious leaders very concerned about the security of the body. Where they say, hey, you know, we just got to make sure that he stays dead and looks dead. Because after all, he was teaching that he would rise again, and you just never know what his disciples might do to make sure it just looks like it came true. The way this passage doesn't avoid or hide the difficulty of embracing that this story could possibly be true. And even the way in which the passage directly appeals to evidence, the way the angel says, no, not just, oh, come on, believe already, but come and see the place where he lay. Pointing to the empty grave, pointing to the women's senses and their minds and their reason and saying, take evidence, look around. It's hard to believe, but it's true. He is risen. He is risen indeed. You see, because a lot of us struggle with this, I understand. Because you're asking yourself, maybe, is it scientifically possible for dead human beings to come back to life? And the answer, friends, even from the Christian perspective, is no. Is no, not normally, not scientifically. It's why it's called a miracle. It does not happen every day. It does boggle the mind. This is weird stuff. That's not the question to ask. Is it scientifically possible? The better question is, 
how can we best explain what historically happened days, months, years, decades, even centuries after the disciples claimed that Jesus actually did rise from the dead? In other words, there are some very important and key questions that you just have to settle down and figure out what the answers are to. Questions like this. Could the disciples really have just made this up? Could they have? They pointed to their own eyewitness testimony. And yet, all someone had to do was produce the corpse And that would have fallen flat. Or if all they had was their own verbal witness, people could have easily have brushed them off saying, well, you're hallucinating. You wish it were true, but it just ain't so. Or if all they had were the empty grave, of course, they'd be liable to be accused of stealing the body, to fabricate the appearances of Jesus's resurrection. But here we have not only an empty grave and the eyewitness testimony of people that saw him, talked with him, ate with him for days and days after he was raised from the dead. You have both. And so the question is, why did no one produce Jesus's dead corpse? Or why could no one refute the eyewitness accounts as being inconsistent or unreliable? Another question, first century Jews actually didn't believe in bodily resurrection of individuals in the middle of human history. So it wouldn't have just come to a normal Jewish mind that, hey, let's make up a story that Jesus rose from the dead. If it didn't come from their traditions or from their culture, where did it come from? And not just the Jews, but the Greeks too. They didn't believe in resurrection. They believed the body was bad. The whole goal of life was to escape the body. So certainly the climax of God's victory over human evil would not in their minds have been bodily resurrection of the Messiah. Where then did this idea come from? Or if the disciples were making up this story, why would they make women whose testimony in ancient society was legally inadmissible and untrustworthy and illegitimate? Why would they make women the first witnesses on the scene? They wanted to persuade the world. Why didn't they just tweak the details just a little bit? You know, slip a few guys in there, mix it up. Unless, perhaps... This could be how it really did happen. In fact, no other band of Jewish followers of any rabbi or any first century pretender Messiah, and there were a lot of them, ever claimed that their executed leader was raised from the dead. No one even grabbed onto that story except for these folks. Why? No Jewish person... No Jews, a monolithic people, ever worshipped a human being as a god. That scene here of these Jewish women being confronted with Jesus, falling to his feet, collapsing his ankles, and worshipping him would have been punishable by stoning. It would have been a terrible offense. They never would have claimed that this Jesus was both fully human and 
fully God. So what led them to do so? And why would so many of these disciples give their lives to this story? Whether if it was a fabrication, a lie, a deception, or a tall tale birthed out of wishful thinking. Why would they give their lives to this story only to be tortured for it? Only to be martyred and murdered for believing and teaching that Jesus truly was alive. Unless perhaps he really had been. What changed their view of the world literally over the weekend? Why did Christianity turn from a small renegade band of followers into an unexpectedly powerful worldwide movement of faith? Could it be because it was triggered by something as mind-blowingly life-changing as the bodily resurrection, the impossible, unbelievable resurrection of Jesus Christ? Something happened. And we have to come up with a historically plausible explanation for these things. Because it just might be true. And according to this passage, if it is true, then it really might just change your life. It really might mean that Jesus has purchased the end of all your fears. I don't know about you. I live my life plagued by all kinds of fears. Big fears, little fears, lurking fears, under the surface fears, obvious fears. Life so drenched with fear sometimes it's almost hard to imagine what life could be like without fear. In fact, this whole passage is soaked with fear. The the opening of the story opens up with this terribly small and pitiful funeral. Jesus' body is being laid to rest at times during his life. Jesus was surrounded by crowds of thousands of believers, followers. Here, while his body is being prepared for burial, the crowd is down to three. Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man who asked for Jesus' dead body, took the body, wrapped it in clean linen cloth, placed it in a tomb, rolled a big stone in front of the entrance, and we're told in verse 61 that Mary Magdalene and number two, the other Mary, were sitting there opposite the two. The men were long gone, fearing for their lives, scared, perhaps, that they had wasted their life. Wasted the last three years. Left their jobs, their livelihood, their security, in some cases their family. Can you imagine the disappointment, the grief of all their hopes being dashed? Of life sort of spinning out of control and here and now fearing execution at the hands of the Romans. There's fear in the hearts of the Jewish religious leaders as well. The chief priests and the Pharisees, they were afraid too. They're nervous. They're nervous. They want to make sure that it's clear that this guy was a pretender. So they're going out of their way to make sure that the tomb is secure. The key word in that paragraph is security. It comes up three times. Because they're afraid. 
afraid of losing power in the religious establishment, of losing their reputation, of looking badly, of losing popularity. Jesus was a threat to their religious security. Everything he was teaching told them that they had it wrong. My whole life being devoted to what I think matters in life and what I think matters to God, and he's telling me there's a different way, and it goes through him. Nervous, scared, and then to top it off, there's a violent earthquake. I'm from California. And I've written out a few of these. But I tell you, even when you're used to earthquakes, there is nothing like the ground beneath your feet shaking. The last thing that you thought you could count on is now moving. Fear. Nothing left to hold on to in life. The guards being so afraid that they shook and became like dead men. The women were afraid. They were told by the angel, do not be afraid. And even when they were told that he was risen, were told that they were afraid, yet filled with joy, joyful and yet still afraid. And this is continuing a theme with Matthew in this gospel, this story, where more than 20 times the word fear or afraid is used again and again and again. It's almost as if it's reminding us how much and how ever-present fear is built into our daily life. What is it for you? What are you afraid of today? Is it bodily harm? Is it the money not adding up? Is it an uncertain future? Is it the feeling of disappointment? Is it the fear of death? What is it for you that most plagues your heart with fear? Because, dear friends, the good news of Easter is that the resurrection bursts forth into a world of many fears. The resurrection of Jesus where he rises up And he says to the women and through them to us, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. If Christ is risen from the dead, he is the end of all fear and dread. Because the resurrection means no more fear of chaos. To understand if Jesus really rose from the dead, it means he is who he says he is, and that is one with the Father, God himself. The one whom it's true of in the next chapter of Matthew 28, when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus, who has control over all things, validated by his resurrection from the dead. There's nothing that can thwart his purposes and his power in your life, not even the grave. Oh, the security and the assurance that we can have in the face of chaos. Here's Jesus saying, do not be afraid. I am in control, risen from the dead. The resurrection means no more fear of chaos. It also means no more fear 
of judgment. Because we're told that Jesus not only is who he said he is, but he also did what he said he'd do, and that is purchase the salvation of all those who would embrace him for the forgiveness of your sins and my sins. It's an amazing thing when you look at how Jesus interacts with the disciples, starting with these women. The first thing out of his mouth when he appears to them is greeting. Greetings. Uh, this is just a normal street greeting in Greek, like hi or, or, or what's up. Uh, if you think about all that had just happened between the last time he saw them and now, you would understand he'd have every reason to say a whole lot more and a whole lot of not so nice things to them. For their abandonment and their betrayal, for their desertion, for their unbelief, for their throwing him under the bus, for their running away and denying that he was their master, their savior, their king, their God. And the first words out of his mouth are a word of grace. Greetings. And even that he would call his fallen disciples, my brothers, go and tell my brothers that I'll meet with them in Galilee. An affirmation again of the relationship that he has with them. Do you hear the forgiveness, the kindness, the mercy, the compassion of this Jesus after all their cowardice and fear and denial and betrayal and sin? Jesus wasn't just being nice to them. His resurrection meant that his death worked. That his death actually was full payment before God and in the court of God for all the sins of those who would embrace him. That he would pay the penalty for all our lack of love and all the injustice and selfishness in our hearts. The resurrection of Jesus was God's ex-offender re-entry program. It was the signal to the world that Jesus' sentence on our behalf was complete. It was fulfilled. It was satisfied. He was done paying for sins. So rise up. Rise up from death. Rise up from the grave. Dear friends, your sins have been paid in full. And so you have this assurance. Don't be afraid. There's no condemnation for you. Don't be afraid. There's no guilt for you. Don't be afraid, dear friends. You don't need to work yourself into a pulp trying to prove that you're worthy of God's approval. You're not going to win that fight. God will give it to you as a gift through His Son. The raised and paid Son of God. The resurrection means no more fear of chaos. It means no more fear of judgment. It means no more fear of death. You know, we're all going to die. We all face death. But we don't need to face it in fear. Not if you know the one who holds the keys of death, who beats death from the inside out, whose death spelled the death of death, Jesus, the one risen from the dead. 
As the first hymn that we sang this morning reminded us, here is Jesus, He who lives again, our glorious King. Where, O death, is now thy sting? Dying once he all does save. Where thy victory, O grave? And when death loses its power over life, everything starts to change, doesn't it? Do you fear death today? Do you fear the sense of meaningless that can come before the prospect of death? What is all this for if it's going to come to an end? Here's Jesus who says it's not the end. It's only the beginning of true life, life eternal. Jesus who said in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Because one day your body might cease, but if you're in Jesus, you will never cease, but will truly live. Freedom from the fear of death, freedom from aging, freedom from the disappointment, even shame of a body that's failing you, not looking like it used to. Freedom from the fear of a life that comes to an end. Freedom, therefore, to boldly love and to give with all risk and abandon. Because you know that even if you might die, your life is indestructible like his. It doesn't mean we won't ever get hurt, but it does mean that you can be not afraid. It means you can live a life that's not defined by fear, where fear doesn't define you or own you or enslave you. And when the resurrection of Jesus begins to rise up in your heart and you begin to see the reality of what this could mean in your life, that His life really might mean the end of your fear of a chaotic present, past, or future. The end of the fear of judgment before God. The end of the fear of death. Rising up within our hearts then is confidence and assurance. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine it? A heart that's becoming free of fear, that begins to erupt in praise, where it makes you want to say and it makes you want to shout, Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. So don't be afraid. Let's pray. It's a hope and a life that we long for. That we're almost hesitant to ask of you and to believe that it might be possible. But as truly as you've been risen, you give us this gift. This gift of life and this hope, the hope of Jesus raised from the dead. And so with with joy and assurance and longing that we fix our eyes on you, Jesus, the Lamb of God. 
risen, risen from the dead. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We heard about it. Let's stand and let's sing about it now.